Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day as we wrap up the week and we wrap up our coverage today of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention going on here in Kansas City. Just a couple of notes. want to send out congratulations to Max Armstrong uh, from this week in agribusiness and also Tom Stever with the Brownfield Network. They were inducted last night into our National Association of Farm Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Here today at the uh, meeting, uh, Secretary Purdue will be uh, speaking with uh, the broadcasters this afternoon. We'll see if he has anything more to add about USMCA. The news sounds uh, more positive. as uh, more comments from Nancy Pelosi and some others saying we may be getting close to a USMCA deal. So we'll keep a close watch on that. I have much more on that coming up on Monday. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with Don Close, animal protein analyst for Rabo AgriFinance, uh, taking a look at the situation with African swine fever, the opportunities that's creating for the U.S. livestock industry, also the precautions that continue to need to be taken to make sure that disease stays out of, that virus stays out of the United States. But uh, tremendous opportunities, it looks like, building around the world for protein, not just pork, but also beef and, and poultry. We'll also talk about that with Colin Woodall, the new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Also some interesting uh, conversation, some thoughts from him on the whole situation with cell and plant-based products coming into the market, how the beef industry is responding to that. Uh, We'll take a look at the effort to get some changes made in uh, the... Hours of you know that are required for drivers hauling livestock across the country. That's a big, big issue for the industry. So we'll get into all that with the new NCBA CEO, Colin Woodall, a little bit later on. But we're joined right now by Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Co- Coalition. Uh, I'm having trouble talking this morning. Soy Coalition. Mike, good to see you, and thanks for being with us. Hey, it's always good to be with you, Mike. Okay, so let's... We talk infrastructure quite a bit. You and I have been talking about this, I don't know how long, right? And, and wondering if there is any path forward. We're going to get a breakthrough in Congress. And maybe you say there's a narrow window here, a little opportunity to get something significant done? Yeah, you know, with all of the, you know, contentious, you know, environment in Washington, D.C., one of the things that both the Republicans and Democrats are trying to convey to the American people is in the midst of all of this acrimony, we can still get things done on behalf of the American people. And one of the things that we, within agriculture, would like to see pass before this kind of window of opportunity closes is what's called an energy and water appropriations bill. The House has passed their version. The Senate Appropriation Committee passed their version by a vote of 31 to 0. You'd think that'd be pretty non-controversial. Both versions provide a significant 
increase in funding for the Army Corps of Engineers, which manages our inland waterway system, our locks and dams, our ports that are all very critical to agriculture. And so what we would like to see is the Senate pass their version and it get recon reconciled with the House. If they're able to, to get that done, you know, that would really provide some real benefit to our industry. We're trying to do as best as we can to, to export to all of these various countries with the, the, the challenges with China. We're trying to diversify the customers we're exporting to. So having an infrastructure well positioned to allow that will be really critical. So passing this energy and water appropriation bill would be would be welcome news for farmers. Next step is what? Well, the the, the Senate is... is entertaining their version of the bill it needs to get passed by the full senate now what what unfortunately can happen in washington dc is you start taking these individual bills that may be less controversial and then they start grafting them onto other bills right. creating what's called an omnibus appropriation bill or in this case a minibus appropriation bill where you've got three or four other appropriation bills all grafted together now all of a sudden it becomes more controversial it becomes a heavier lift and so that's kind of where the next step is. We would like to see that passed and then get it reconciled with the, with the House version. They both provide significant amounts of increase in funding, so the differences aren't that disparate. But again, it's, it's the process that's kind of getting in the way. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. As we look at how this fall has gone, how harvest has gone, we know it's an extended harvest, a later harvest than usual. Uh, a lot of grain going into storage, but how how has transportation gone this year as far as moving uh, grain out of the Midwest? Uh, I mean, it's been a real challenge this year. You know, with you know the you know farmers clearly had a problem planting a crop. You know, there's challenges marketing that crop. China being the most notable example. We've consistently had problems transporting that crop, and and when it, whether it's you know counties are still struggling with recovering with their rural roads and bridges that have been adversely affected by flooding conditions. Uh, the inland waterway systems have really been plagued by, you know, less than ideal navigation or no navigation at all. Railroads, of course, they've had to repair sig significant segments of their their network. A lot of dredging needs, that, you know, both at the at the by the Gulf of Mexico, but also, you know, in the upper mid Mississippi River. So there's a lot of funding that needs to occur, and and this in the in the flooding conditions that we've had. It, it, what's been unique is how widespread it's been and how elongated it's been. You know, we, we're a hardy folk in, in agriculture. We're used to flooding conditions, but that's what's been really unique this year. And we never really have gotten out of the threat of flooding in some areas, so it's going to carry right into uh, next year. Yeah, and that, you know, again, you know, we've had flooding events in the past, but it'll be more isolated, and then you recover for it, and then you get back to a kind of an equilibrium. And that's what's really been the struggle this year. It just continues to persist. And now all of a sudden we're having you know, an early, early snowfall. And now it's, you know, the worry is, is it just going to transition into next year? So obviously something to keep our, our, our eyes on. Then you throw in the challenges in some areas of getting propane for drying. That's added to the problems this year. You know, absolutely. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, infrastructure has certainly been a headwind and that's historically been one of the secrets of our, of our competitive advantage. You know, there's some challenges with that this year. You know, I think what a lot of people don't realize in our waterway system 
if you have a problem in one place, it really backs up everything, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it's it, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so, you know, the way I like to describe it is it doesn't do a whole lot of good if each of the links in your supply chain are made out of stainless steel if one of the links is a twisty tie. <laughs> so if you have one problem at one particular lock, it doesn't matter if the ones leading up to it or subsequent to it are well-maintained. The whole system will break down. So you've got to make sure that you're investing appropriately in all of them. We spend a lot of time, rightfully so, talking about the importance of trade deals, being able to have markets and uh, forced to sell into. But we've got to be able to move our products to those markets. Yeah, and and that's really again been the the secret to our success. And you know, one of the things that's happening, one of the unfortunate consequences of this trade dispute with China is that it's sent a signal not only to bring more production. Uh, land into production in places like Brazil, but more investment in the infrastructure that services it. So you're seeing more investment in the northern part of Brazil, where that's that that provides greater linkage to places like that Mato Grosso area, makes them more competitive. And once you kind of make these systemic investments and changes in in Brazil, whether it's production or transportation, even if you have an agreement with China between the U.S. and China. This won't just snap back like a rubber band. So this, so the consequences of that will be long-standing. That is a good point because we've seen before how actions we've taken uh, by our government has opened the door for more production in South America. You're, as you're pointing out, that is also opening the door now to more infrastructure. And uh, if we don't do our part, we're going to lose that competitive advantage that we've enjoyed. Mike, good to see you. Thanks very much for the update. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. All right, we'll continue from here in Kansas City. Up next, we're going to talk with animal protein analyst Don Close with Robo AgriFinance. Stay with us on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. You never settle for less. Neither does your FS crop specialist. That's why his agronomic plan for your farm includes a recommendation to plant FS Envision seed corn. Because Envision was developed to ensure optimum performance in your soil. Engineered with elite genetics and advanced traits, Envision is challenging the status quo by delivering superior yields and higher returns. Talk to your FS crop specialist today and learn more about why FS Envision seed is cropping up everywhere. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. Will hemp producers be eligible for USDA programs, including insurance? Hemp producers are eligible for crop insurance. It would only be eligible, at least right now, for the 2020 growing year under the Whole Farm Revenue Protection Plan. You know, you can grow multiple crops under that. There is no individual crop uh, insurance product for hemp yet. That's one that hopefully RMA, uh, working with private stakeholders, will be able to develop a tool over time. But I got to say, with the risk with this crop, if you produce a crop 
that becomes a hot prop over that 0.3% THC level, it is not an insurable covered loss under crop insurance. Even if weather is the reason, even if you do all your management practices correctly, if it becomes a hot crop, you do not get coverage under crop insurance, and it's in DEA's ballpark at that point. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture from Kansas City, the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Joined now by Don Close. He is an animal protein analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Don, let's talk about this situation, global situation for protein with African swine fever, China, and several other countries creating a pretty big uh, hole with a fill here for not just pork, but just protein in general. What are your thoughts on just how big that hole may be? You know, our, our view is that it, if you take all the available protein available for export and sent that product to China, we would still have a void of 8 to 10 million tons shortage. So we're going to see total protein consumption in China decline just because of availability. So this isn't just going to be, the pork industry alone can't fill that hole, so it's going to, it's going to create demand for beef and poultry? Absolutely true, and, and we're, we're clearly seeing the, the ripple effect of that already. Do we have any idea yet the magnitude of that situation with African swine fever? Well, you know, when we started off, the view is that, that half the world's hogs are in China, and roughly half a billion hogs. 400, 450, 480. Um, the, our, the bank's view currently is that the loss of breeding stock to date is about 55%. There's certainly estimates out there now since we made that estimate that are even bigger yet. But with that 55% bracket, uh, we're thinking we could see another erosion in breeding stock of 10 to 15% in 2020. Uh, so in and again, back in rounded terms, but the view is that 25% of the global sow inventory has been lost because of this disease. And as we've we've kept track of this, I mean, China primarily, but it has moved to several other countries as well. Absolutely true. You know, it's moved uh, North and South Korea, 
uh, Vietnam has had an incredibly difficult, actually on a, on a ratio basis, it's been more impactful in Vietnam than it has been in, uh, in China. We still have, uh, have outbreaks in Eastern Europe that causing some problems. Uh, I got story, I, was, I had a conversation earlier this week with some folks in Australia that, that feed, have feed yards in Indonesia. They, they're just now having an outbreak in Indonesia, so it's, it's far from resolved. And then in trying to repopulate after this, do we have any idea how long that's going to take? It would seem, without a vaccine, which there isn't any, it, it's going to take quite a while. Uh, our, it took Spain 30 years to get ASF under, eradicated. We, we think with the, with the efforts, the technology, it will probably be a faster project in, in, in China and Southeast Asia. But we're thinking five years minimum, 10 years likely. And it, you know, as it goes on that long, if, if they don't have it eradicated, they'll figure out how to manage around it. We're talking with Don Close, a protein anal- animal protein analyst for Rabo Agrofinance. So here's, here's what I keep asking economists. Does this signal to U.S. producers to expand? Absolutely. Now, it's been interesting in just the last couple of weeks, I've been in several conversations of what's the final outcome of this. If we're talking, say, a, a three- to five-year timeline to get this under control, as all of the major pork-producing countries globally aggressively expand to capitalize on this opportunity, as China stabilizes and starts to rebuild, there's obviously going to be a really ugly end to this when we have way too much pork supply globally. So the, the timeline, I think U.S. producers have a two to three year window of incredible opportunities. Beyond that, we would be very cautious. Now, I had an economist tell me the other day, we have to be careful, though, that we don't have the packing capacity to, re- to have major expansion all at once. No, but you know, the, the combination of the f- new pork plants that have just come online in the U.S., the added slaughter capacity that came with that, that expansion was at an incredibly op- opportunistic time to have the room to ramp up that slaughter. You know, the other part of this is keeping ASF out of the United States. And I don't know that a lot of people outside of the pork industry have really thought about the impact that would have. I mean, it would impact more than just pork producers. It would make our BSC event in cattle look very calm. Uh, it is going to be incredibly destructive if, if in the event we, we were to get it in the U.S. As I've been a part of conversations and, and what kind of exposure that the U.S. has, there's one extreme that, that gives an answer that it's not really a question of if it will arrive in the U.S., it's more of a question of when. And then I've been in conversations on the other spectrum that says, look, our production system, our inspection system, we've been able to keep FMD out of the United States for 70, 75 years, and that system should serve us well. The other thing that I do think is the U.S. is very well positioned, unlike the China situation where they had 
a very dense hog population throughout the country, U.S. hog production is really in pockets. Now, if that were to break in Iowa, Minnesota, we got a, we got a nightmare. But you take the Utah population of hogs, the panhandle of Oklahoma populations of hogs, North Carolina. So in the event we were to get it, we should be able to isolate that way better than other global producers. I've even heard it said that the virus could be already in the U.S., but has not made it to a hog facility or a, a you know a pork farm. I've heard that that same had that same part of that same conversation, and and you think about it, you know we've got 70 million foreign guests a year coming to the U.S. The majority of those people coming from Asia. Um, I I think the argument that it is here is a very solid one. But if you take the link from getting a random tourist from Asia and to have that link for them to show up with a, at, a, at a hog farm here is, is very remote. On another topic, what are your thoughts on these new products coming into the market, the plant and cell-based products? They've got a lot of money behind them, getting a lot of attention. Uh, do you see that as a short-term a fad thing, or is this something that could uh, really take some uh, market away from the livestock industry? The, uh, the article that I wrote for the November National Cattlemen's Magazine, I talked about that very thing. And as, it has, as that deal has unfolded, I'm less concerned about those products today than I would have been six months a year ago. Um, First off, you got to understand, they're not going to go away. They're going to be a part of our market. But if you take, I, I had, a, had a conversation with a, a restaurant manager in St. Louis earlier this week that offers Impossible Burgers. I, I asked him, how, so you've had the product on the menu now for six months, how are the sales? He went and actually pulled the data for me. They account for 2% of their sales. And he says they've really said when we first launched that product, it was really moving. We were moving a fair amount of it. But since that time, it has just set it steadily declined. So I've also found it interesting in the last couple of months. But, you know, early on in the launch of those products, all you could do was see articles and fanfare and endorsements of how wonderful they were. But more and more, we're seeing those products coming under an increasing level of, of scrutiny, both on what they're actually doing for greenhouse gas emissions, it's that much improvement. The other is if, if you've got a product with 22 to 26 ingredients compared to beef, are all those added ingredients really good for it? So I, I think that's balance is starting to surface. Yeah, and the, the question would be, will, will consumers look at the facts or, or they, do they have any a feel good that somehow they're helping the environment by purchasing those type of products. You know, and, they, and that's there. And, and the animal welfare front concern, that's there. Uh, but, but again, a lot more asking for details of what that really amounts to. Don, good to see you again. Thank oh, you. Good to talk with you. That's Don Close, uh, animal protein analyst with Robo AgriFinance. I think that's some interesting comments that it, on the uh, cell and plant-based protein products coming into the market now. Will they uh, 
uh, continue their popularity? Will they increase in market share, or will that kind of back off? And and when they get more scrutiny, more attention placed on them, that's interesting to see how that's going to play out. We'll talk about that and more with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, coming up next here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer fueled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. With Make-A-Wish, the impossible becomes possible. A girl battling cancer can become a race car driver battling the course. The boy showing all the nurses his fire trucks can take the helm of a real one. Wishes can give kids with critical illnesses the strength to keep fighting, get better, and grow up. Where there's a wish, there's a way. Wishes need you. Visit Make-A-Wish at Wish.org. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network, broadcasting from the Western Crown in Kansas City at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. In the grain and oil seed sector, we've got a narrow Friday mix underway. U.S. stock futures and European stock markets modestly higher early Friday, trading in a new contract high in the December Dow Jones futures contract. Weather-wise, across the Corn Belt, could see some more Harvest progress over the weekend. Corn harvest reached 66% as of last Sunday. That was 19 points behind the five-year average. Western Corn Belt weather forecast calling for maybe a little light rain in the north on Sunday. Eastern Corn Belt, mostly dry weather Friday through Tuesday. The soybean harvest was 85% complete as of Sunday. That was seven points behind the five-year average. Early in Friday's activity, January soybeans up two and a half at nine nineteen and a quarter. December corn down a penny and three quarters at three seventy four. In the wheats, Chicago December down two five oh five and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December down a penny and three quarters four twenty and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat December down two and a half at five ten and a quarter. For livestock at the American cattle futures backpedaling a bit. In early activity, December live cattle down a dime at 118.97. Feeder cattle, January down a nickel at $144 even. Cash cattle country quiet so far this morning. Following a light to moderate trade on both Wednesday and Thursday, Southern live deals marked at mostly 115, steady to a dollar higher than the bulk of last week's business. Lane hog futures, December down a dime at 62.65. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. 
They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City. Happy to have with us this new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. Colin, uh, you had a chance to kind of settle into the new job? Yeah, I have, and it's been a fast eight weeks, but it's been a great opportunity to start talking about the next evolution of this association, and more importantly, to be more vocal as an association in protecting our members and promoting our product. You told me uh, that you were going to be more aggressive, especially on some of these areas like the the plant and cell-based meat products that are out there, and you were going to make sure that the uh, the real meat, the real beef message was going to get out stronger. And we're doing that, and one of the great examples is what we have been able to accomplish in supporting the introduction of the Real Meat Act up on Capitol Hill. What this is going to do is really put some restrictions on how people can use that term beef. And so the introduction of that has allowed us the opportunity to talk more in mainstream media about the facts in beef production, the facts on our true nutritional content, the facts on our environmental impact, and all of that has been a great opportunity to promote the good news around beef. I recently uh, I wrote a commentary on this because, you know, we all talk in agriculture about a level playing field, and it seems to me in this area with these new products coming online, I don't, I don't see it as a level playing field. One, they've got a lot of money behind them, which allows a lot of extra advertising, and, and we know ag groups can't match some of those budgets, so I'm, I'm kind of looking for a, a food company or a retailer or somebody to kind of step up and, and really push real meat, real beef. Uh, the other part of it is... Uh, and we've talked about this before, new products like this, they can capitalize on traditional names, whether it's in the dairy industry with milk and dairy or even with burgers and things associated with with beef. So they have that advantage. And then they also have this emotional tie. It seems like there are, there are a lot of people, I don't, I don't know if it's just millennials or who, but have a feeling that by eating some of these new products, they're somehow saving the, the planet or protecting the environment. So there's that, you know, there's that feel-good aspect they have about purchasing those products. All that seems to me to be kind of slanting the playing field more in the favor of some of these new products. And that's, uh, I, 
something I think you have to overcome. Well, you're spot on. Both of the, your comments, not only their use of our name, but also this concept of they're saving the planet by eating a, an impossible Whopper, for example, is something that we have to uh, to fight back. And, and that's why we have been working on this legislation, because this Real Meat Act will restrict the use of that term beef on these products. Uh, we have to make sure that they can't uh, utilize that term beef. You know, look, if, if you want a vegetable, go eat a vegetable. Uh, if you want a beef burger, eat a beef burger. If you want something else, move on. Uh, we know that there are options out there, and that's great. But let's be open and honest with what you truly are, and we don't think these companies are doing. And then also to your point about talking in regards to environmental impact, a lot of the information that Impossible and Beyond are using is from the long-debunked Livestock's Long Shadow that the United Nations put out over a decade ago. They dusted that off because it gives them the talking points that they want. And so we're out there talking about the fact that, one, that was debunked, and then talk about the great story that we can uh, sell as an association and industry with facts such as we can produce as much beef today as we did in 1977 with a third fewer cattle. That's a great story that's just not getting out there, and we're working on changing that. Yeah, and you have a great story to tell. Here's another challenge in all this. As we've seen, whether it was with GMOs or other or other aspects of uh, some new technology, facts don't always sell or don't always win the argument. You hope they will. You just got to get them in front of people and let them make the choice. And I know that uh, you've told us this before. It's not that you don't think they ought to be these products ought to be in the marketplace, but there needs to be the same rules for everybody, right? A level playing field. Yeah, you're right. And. They, they are trying to use the free market economy to make some money, and we believe in the free market economy as well. And you're also right, and it's, it's hard to get over that a lot of people, especially in today's world, don't care about facts. It's who they hear first and what that message is. Uh, regardless, we still have to do everything we can to try to correct the record. Um, it, it is a, a slow and arduous task, and it doesn't always give us the quick return that we would like. That's why we have probably spent more time just trying to protect our name or anything else. Because if we can change their labels, then I think that's going to go a long way in helping us. Because ultimately, if it's a growing market for protein globally, there should be room for everybody. But you want to be able to compete on a fair uh, basis, right? It is about a level playing field. That's right. And. You know, if you look at the history of uh, uh, vegetarianism, the history of, of be, or, uh, vegetable-based burgers from the past, it's all kind of that 3% level. Uh, we think that there's probably a lot of curiosity right now on these products, which has a few more people eating it. But all we have to do is step back and look at Beyond, for example. Six months ago, it looked like Beyond was going to be unstoppable. But when we saw the restrictions on their uh, stock be lifted here about a week and a half ago, all of a sudden we saw people selling out. And we have more competitors in that market. And I think as they kind of dilute themselves, that helps us remain in that space. And also it's incumbent upon us to use some of their strategies. We need to talk about the fact that this is highly processed product. And when you have people that on one side say they don't want GMOs, they don't want processed food but yet they want this that just doesn't come out in the wash yeah there's some hypocrisy there i think and uh, i think that's going to see we'll see how that plays out and whether they they can sustain uh, some of these early levels that they're enjoying right now we're talking with colin woodall ceo of the national cattlemen's beef association another issue you've been working on for some time now if you could give us an update on on the hours of service uh, requirements where are you on that 
So a couple of things. One, we have language in the current appropriations bill that's being worked on in Congress that would give us another year of exemption for livestock haulers from ELDs. We have to maintain that until we can actually get more regulatory change on hours of service. Now, we tried to go through the Department of Transportation. The Department of Transportation is just not budging. They're all about safety. They don't care about animal welfare. It's unfortunate, but that is just what we have run up against. So we are now back into Congress. We've seen introduction of the TREAD Act, and the TREAD Act is going to give us a 150-air-mile exemption on the back end of a haul. We currently have a 150-air-mile exemption on the front end of the haul. If we can take both of those, it'll take us a long way in getting more hours to get those cattle to the next step. Let's move to trade. Um, still waiting on a, what's going to happen with USMC, USMCA. Are you feeling optimistic that it's going to be brought up for a vote this year? I'm still optimistic that we'll get a vote, and I will tell you that if we had the vote this afternoon, it would pass. The votes are there. This is all about the strategy that the Speaker has on just what are the concessions she wants out of the President. But she has told us we're going to get a vote, and I do believe we'll get it. And on China, kind of waiting to see what happens there? We're, we're still optimistic on China, too. We know that the issue of hormones, for example, is still on the table and being discussed. You know, if we can take down some of these non-tariff trade barriers, hormones being the biggest one, we could potentially take that and make it our number one export market, which would be significant for us as an industry. For beef, that would be huge, right? To to really be able to tap into that market, which you really haven't been fully able to do. No, we have not. And with the, the, the dearth of protein right now because of African swine fever, uh, people want access to high-quality protein. We have it. We just need to be able to get it to them. Yeah, because we we think primarily, you know, they've lost hogs. Or, or it's an opportunity for our pork industry, and it will be. But as I had an economist tell me just the other day, we don't have enough pork to fill that hole completely beef will uh, play a part in that too. That's right. And that's why we're also working with our friends in the pork industry to make sure that we're a part of doing everything we can to prevent African swine fever from coming here. You know, people have said, well, why would you do that? It provides opportunities for you. No, we don't want anybody domestically to be hit by this. And we know that there would be uh, travel restrictions placed on our product as well. So we are in lockstep with our friends in the pork industry to try to protect ourselves from ASF. All right, let's uh, go to another area. And when you're, you talked about this earlier, getting your message out to the public, and part of that is with the, your BQA, your Beef Quality Assurance Program. Tell us about that. So BQA is a tremendous program that has helped producers do a better job of handling their animals, uh, working their animals, and overall just helping us be better at animal welfare. We need to make sure that the consumer knows. It goes back to the discussion we just had about fake meat. The consumer doesn't have a good idea of what we do on farms and ranches and producing that beef. And BQA is one thing that when people kind of see what we're doing, they realize that this is this is uh, this is science. Uh, this is truly an effort to make sure that we are doing the best job we can. So we have a checkoff-funded program right now that is putting BQA in front of the consumer, and we feel very good with the response that we have seen so far. Because that lack of knowledge about how people's food is produced, in this case beef, that makes them then more susceptible when they hear this message. If you try this other kind of a product, you're saving the planet. Somehow then they're thinking, well, then there must be a problem with how, you know, with cattle production. So you, it's it, to me, it comes back to that disconnect between the consumer and the, and production agriculture. Uh, knowledge is power, but we just have to get there first and be louder and talk about 
talk about it more than the other side does because as we have seen in the world today most people remember the last conversation they had and if we're not that last conversation and a fake meat is then we have a problem country of origin labeling is coming back that topic of discussion is coming back and some pushing forward again how do you respond to that? You know, Cool has been around for 20 plus years, very divisive in this industry. Uh, it's important to know that NCBA supports voluntary Cool. We think that voluntary Cool probably has some value. We also think that a state label, a regional label, has value. We don't trust the government to do much of anything right these days. Why would we trust them to market our beef? And Cool is a marketing program and a marketing program only. So we need to find a way to make sure that we utilize the PVP programs at USDA to implement a voluntary cool program because bringing back mandatory like we had for six and a half years is not an option because Canada and Mexico can retaliate against us from that WTO case of seven years ago. Now they can come out and retaliate against us to the tune of about a billion dollars and we can't afford that. Good to see you, Colin. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Colin Whittall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. More coming up from Kansas City, the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention, here on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay. 
especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dale, there is a bipartisan ag labor reform bill that's been introduced. Why has Farm Bureau not endorsed it yet, or will you, or where are you at in that process? Well, Mike, our board has met a couple of times and gone through this bill in, in you know, very, very careful detail to understand uh, everything that it represents. There are some things in that that are positive, namely uh, one thing that we've heard from all over the country uh, is this process that would provide a, a pathway to legal status for the current workforce because we know uh, the data suggests that there are a number of workers in a lot of different industry sectors who are in the United States that may not uh, have the documentation necessary and so forth. So we feel like that that part of the bill you know, is a step in the right direction and, and relatively consistent with our grassroots policy. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Welcome back to Adams on Agriculture, broadcasting again today from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention going on in Kansas City. Joining me now is Scott Walker. He's corn market manager for Pioneer and also John Sharpman, market lead for Pioneer Soybeans. Lots to talk about in this challenging year of 2019 and look ahead to what we hope will be a a better 2020 in many cases. Scott, let's start with you. We look at uh, the corn harvest this year, still wrapping up. Uh, Results variable as you go across the country. Yeah, we're seeing results kind of across the board. Um, I would say the sweet spots in, in, in the U.S. would be the, the Nebraska areas, western Iowa, uh, pockets of Illinois in pretty good shape. But overall, I would say yields are down 5 to 15% from what we've been hearing um, all across the country. I mean, you have weather challenges in the Dakotas, out in Ohio, Indiana, and, of course, there in pockets of Illinois as well. But everybody's kind of felt and felt the pain of, of what 2019 has brought us, and we're really looking forward to what uh, – 2020 is going to shape up to be. Well, let's look ahead then. Uh, I know you have some new things uh, uh, planned for 2020 at Pioneer, and and I think everybody wants to kind of turn the page here, get 2019 behind us and move ahead. What do you have for 2020? Yeah, uh, we've uh, released uh, what we're calling our Corn Revolution uh, marketing campaign, but it's more than just a marketing campaign. It's kind of about what we've changed and what we're doing differently in our breeding program, and and we made some changes there about seven to eight years ago, and we're just now starting to see those products come through the pipeline, and we're really excited about the new products that that we released last year, what we're going to be releasing this year, and then what we have uh, set up in the pipeline for 2020 and beyond. So Chrome products, tell us about them. Yeah, Chrome is is, is definitely part of the revolution. Uh, it's our new triple stack product that has uh, dual modes of action above and below ground for insect protection. Uh, but we couple that with agronomic and yields uh, that we're bringing to, to growers. Uh, if you're not familiar uh, with the breeding process, but traits and genetics don't necessarily work well together. Uh, this new Chrome products is a molecular stack uh, that allows us to utilize our full genetic library uh, in the triple stack or for that corn on corn acre. And, and we're really seeing the benefits from an agronomic standpoint and a yield standpoint. Getting that balance is the key, right? The insect protection, the agronomic uh, uh, benefits as well. So you want to get that balance. Yes, that's absolutely. We're looking for that balance. If, if you're just breeding for yield, that's easy. It's a, it's bringing in the, the other components of that uh, balance, and, and that's what Chrome does for us. Scott, you know, one thing about looking at a year like 2019, even though production is down for all the different reasons we've talked about, but, you know, if you go back a few years, if we didn't have the traits and the technology that we are using now, I wonder what our production would have been in a year like this. Absolutely. I mean, you can go back to even in 2012 with the drought if we wouldn't have had our Aquamax products. Where would where would we have been 10, 15 years prior to that? Um, so these traits and the, and the technology and, and we're testing, uh, we can test to, in multiple uh through computer simulations, 100,000 different growing season within one year, and we can use data analytics and kind of test. And, and we know before we even take a product into our research or release it to research whether or not it's going to be successful for that farmer. So you got farmers uh, wrapping up harvest. Some are done. Some are, some are still wrapping up, starting to think about next year and, and making some decisions. Obviously, 2019 will be on their minds and influence some of those decisions. Yeah, 2019 is... is um, as we tell any any grower, when, and when we're doing our testing, we're we're doing multiple years of testing and taking kind of an average of what those products are going to bring because you don't really want to make a decision based on one year. Uh, what I always has farmers is was twenty eighteen different than twenty nineteen. So you want to make sure that you're you're taking a good comprehensive look of, of what these products have done 
annually and and not just one year so uh, but we've uh, uh, we're going through our, our as you know it's 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 selling season and, and our, our growers and, and our uh, pioneer sales representatives are, are having conversations today and and uh, just want to thank all the growers out there for their business and, and continue support of pioneer products all right thank you Scott Scott Walker corn uh, marketing manager for pioneer now let's go to soybeans John Sharpman is with us and uh, John is the uh, marketing lead for pioneer soybeans John uh, Let's talk about the soybean harvest, uh, variability there as well. Variability, Mike. Uh, you mentioned the 2019 year, probably the most challenging uh, that we've seen in a long time in the U.S. and as well as Illinois. Uh, however, our performance continued with our uh, A-series uh, soybean lineup. We continued to dominate our competition. In fact, when we looked at our yields uh, comparisons across the U.S., we were deliver- delivered a 2.4 bushel yield advantage uh, with the A-series lineup. That same yield level was matched in Illinois when we looked at our Illinois data, uh, a 2.4 bushel yield advantage. And you could quickly fluff that off, say, well, yeah, maybe I'll see that, maybe I won't. But in today's farm economy, that's probably 20 to $25 more per acre uh, that we're able to deliver to the farmer. You know, the trend has been early planting. Well, that didn't happen for most farmers this year. So we've, we we kind of can look at this year and say, okay, how do we do with later planting? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think um, th- that's a statement I made a couple different times this summer is that 2019 really highlighted the need for early planting and early growth and plant establishment. However, uh, we've got some pretty phenomenal yields that came through, and I think it's a testament to the genetics we're working with today uh, that we're still able to grow a crop and deliver the yields that we did. Looking ahead to next year, what do you have available for farmers? A lot of excitement uh, looking towards 2020. We, we want to continue to deliver on this yield performance that we're seeing, and it's been a year-over-year uh, thing, uh, as well as uh, working with some new herbicide tra- trait products. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the proven performance out of our A-series products with Xtend. Uh, we've got Liberty Link, which is a, a also a proven performer around yield and a weed control system. But new is Enlist E3. So with Enlist E3, uh, we're bringing that into our lineup, and it gives the farmer just another option for weed control and another tool to help them reach those yield goals. It's going to be an interesting next year. Some acres that didn't get planted this year will be coming back into production next year, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully they do. Uh, you know, the farmers want to plant. We want them to plant, mm-hmm. but you're right. So uh, one of the things we can offer there is is connect with your local Pioneer sales rep. If you're wondering what to do with that acre or how do I treat that acre or what's changed in that acre, we've got a wealth of agronomy uh, resources available and that local knowledge through our Pioneer rep that we would just love to help work with our farmers and help them through that scenario. Very good. John Sharpman and Scott Walker with Pioneer. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. That wraps it up for today and for the week. Thank you for joining us back in studio on Monday, the latest on USMCA and weather and more. Have a great weekend, everyone. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions.